Today I'm joined by Laurent Nizri, founder and CEO of the Paris Fintech Forum. Laurent, how are you? Fine, pleased to meet you. So today we're going to be discussing the broader European banking and fintech landscape. There is so much going on at the moment with regulation, Brexit, disruptors. So what are you seeing at the moment and how does this compare to where we were, say, 12 months ago? I mean, as you just mentioned, so many things happening. Um, of course, we are in UK today. Brexit is on every lips. Nobody mm. knows really what will happen. Uh, uh, I still continue to cross my fingers. I won't say why, but but however, it will be a big thing because UK has been and is still is in Europe the leader for financial services and especially for the disruptors. Mm. Of course, uh, uh, most of the biggest uh, fintech disruptors are in London today and they offer service in Europe, mainland Europe with the passport services. So of course there will be issues but they are I mean the one who are really working in mainland Europe have prepared. So they have backup plans, they have uh, uh, new demands for a new license and so on and going. But again it will be a big thing. Of course, the second big thing is PSD2. Mm. Even if it has been postponed uh, for some application, it's really a big, big thing for banks and fintechs today. Mm. Let's make it simple. Banks are too slow for the fintechs, and fintechs uh, perhaps are too demanding for the banks. Well, the regulator is in the middle, but things are happening. I guess from a, a European point of view, I know from France we've seen that La Banque Postale, Credit Agricole and Castapan continue to dominate the retail banking uh, market in France. When we look at the broader European view on banking, we've got the incumbent banks and all of these new fintechs coming into play. Do you think there's potential for these new fintechs and challenger banks to displace such large incumbent banks that have had you know, years and years of history? Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, so let's let's take a broader view on what you just mentioned. First, yeah, yeah you mentioned a few of the big banks in France. Let's say that in Europe, um, many of the big French banks are the top European leader bank. You mm. forgot perhaps BNP, Sogen, yeah. but uh, uh, these kind of banks are just leading the European uh, uh, scene today. So, of course, they are at the forefront uh, because also France is a big market by itself. So many, many fintechs from all over Europe and even from US come to try also the chance on this 60 million inhabitant market, uh, which has quite a big appetite for new services, for digital, and uh, also is used to try new innovations. So, of course, we have a lot of new flow. For example, if you take N26, mm. it's one of the bigger market after Germany. So, um, and just an example among many others. Yeah. So definitely, we see this battle. But if you ask me the question about will FinTech in general displace the incumbent, I say no. Mm -hmm. Why? Because 95%, and I'm nice, of the fintechs are willing to work with incumbents, not to fight against incumbents. All of them look at cybers, look in our event, look in many other places. Mm -hmm. They are willing to work with. They are providing new services to help the banks to innovate and transform. And the thing is still the same. We built the Paris Fintech Forum in 2015 for the first edition in January 16 mm -hmm. on this very ID, co-petition. It was a dream at the time, today it's a reality. Every year we have almost 3,000 top-level executives coming just to do business together. They want to work together. So that's for 95 or perhaps even more uh, percent. Uh, just to give you an example, at the beginning in 2015 or 16, you had a lot of uh, robot advisory firms mm -hmm. uh, saying that they will directly target the B2C market. Today you barely find one. All of them are now B2B and mm -hmm. they sell their services to the 
uh, all the back offices of the big banks, private banks, and, and with good results. Yeah. It's helping the banks, it's helping the startup, it's at the end, it's helping the customers. Same with the big reg tech stuff, KYC and so on, all these things are making a lot of money, good for them, and they help the banks to be less paper because until now and still today it's a big trouble when you want just to do one new product, so many papers. Exactly. Thanks to these great fintechs, the banks have a solution and the customers are more happy. So it's working together mm. again. Uh, so for most of the scope, InsurTech is the same again. Mm. InsurTech, mainly back office disruption. You have a few names doing front office like Lemonade, like Alan, but maximum of the new actors are mm. at the back office disruption, mm. helping the insurance transform themselves. And integrating with and those integrating. big companies. Yeah. So, so they work together. They don't want to displace incumbent. They want the incumbent to st be more powerful thanks to the service, which is a bit different. Mm. Now, if you speak of new banks, that's different, of course. They want to take a piece of cake. Yes. And let's say the basic point of departure is that on the retail side we all work today much more if you come to e-commerce we take more things on Amazon than in my classical shop mm. so people say why won't it be the same with the banks so uh, all these new disruptors have just a simple view which is quite good by the way is okay the banks will have quite many years to work to adapt their branches very expensive yes. also to adapt their IT very old IT with very old language of, uh, uh, of development and so on. And so there is a, a time frame where we can arrive with brand new ideas that, by the way, banks also have. Yes. Okay, the ideas are not only from fintech side. The good ideas, you know, to do a very nice UX and customer-centric, the banks have also those ideas. Mm. Uh, sometimes thanks to people like your group, by the way. But mm. they have this kind of ideas. But the problem is implementation. Because when you have thousands of branches very uh, uh, diverse and old and fragmented IT, you cannot be as quick as a fintech arriving with blank page. Exactly. So of course, during that time frame, which can take two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, depending on the countries and maturity stage, there is a, like a blue ocean for all those new players because of course they will be faster. In the end of the day, they cannot be 25,000 winners. Correct. Remember in the 90s, how many uh, Google like we had? We have more at the time in 1998, 200 robot search. Oh, yeah. Today we have Google or Google, or perhaps Google now. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> no, course. but it's the preferred choice, isn't uh, it? Uh, yeah, it's the preferred choice. Uh, the same for uh, big e-commerce players. Yeah. We have plenty and uh, we have a few options. The same if you take the traders. In the 90s, we had with the rise of internet, we had 200, 300 alternative brokers to do trading online who appeared to disrupt the banks. Mm -hmm. What happened at the end? You only have a few per country now mm. which are, who are on niche markets and most of the players have been bought by banks and integrated in their services. So, and, and I'm speaking of a period because people forgot. That means that it will happen. I don't say at all it will be mm. the same story today because the world is very different. Uh, things go much faster, uh, um, a new service adoption is much quicker, so that it will be a totally different story. But I'm just saying, it was the first time we see that. Yeah. And if you come back to those new banks, yeah, I think they are making, um, they, are, they are moving the lines differently. I mean, when you see what did Valentin staff with N26 in a few years, that's astonishing. Mm. I would say the same, of course, of uh, its competitors. I mean, uh, you, you have people like Monzo guys, like Roland, mm. uh, in front, Conto guys. You, you have plenty of European actors uh, uh, in its subject. Mm. We did great things, not only on the design stuff, 
but also in the commercial to manage to get a real commercial traction. Yeah, exactly. So of course they are moving the lines. Of course the classical bank are looking very closely at what they do. And sometimes copycatting, sometimes doing their own new banks inside the banks, sometimes just changing what they do. Uh, so of course the full industry is changing. But telling me, I mean telling you that in five years time uh, those big banks will have disappeared from your retail worlds and led the place to those guys. There is a big step I'm not sure I will uh, uh, do today. Mm. Um, I think they will have a nice position, mm -hmm. much heavier than today, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but we have to be careful on two things. When you launch a service, whatever the service, I mean, 20 years ago I launched telco services, uh, always easier to have the blank page. You begin, you're alone, you do one single offer who fits them all, and you don't really care of the 30% that you don't fit. Not your problem. You target the one you fit. Yeah. And you target them very well. But you don't have really edge cases. Okay, you are not in my target. You, you cannot fit this credit thing. Sorry, we are not for you. Uh, you are too old. You are not for me. That, so at the beginning, nice. Smaller niche target. And you do it so well. Mm -hmm. And also when you are small, regulators look less at you and problem also look less at you you are too small for that mm. and then you grow and life begins more difficult you want you want to target more people so perhaps you say okay before i didn't have the people who didn't have i don't know access to an email and now i, I need to take them or i didn't have uh, this kind of population and now i need to take them because I, I want to grow and i want to show that i am more universal services mm. and then begins the issue because like in every service not only financial you can spend 95% of your bandwidth on 1% of edge cases. And that's what's cost you money. And at the end, you have to manage that. So of course, today, it's a green field. It's a burst period for all these fintechs because they are still in the time of customer acquisition mm -hmm. with no obligation to make money with them because the VCs are funding mm -hmm. and they are very happy to fund this big growth. So let's say when you don't have to really be uh, uh, profitable, that's already something which is less on your shoulders. Uh, even if, of course, I don't say they are doing silly things for that. They are doing yeah, growth. Yes. But, but that's a, that's a that. less pressure, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, the second thing is uh, you have less pressure from the regulators because um, there are so many new actors. The regulators aren't organized to go and check them as much as they do with the classical bank for years and years where they have their planned uh, meeting every year to go and check everything. Mm. Of course, if... If I say that to a fintech CEO, he will tell me that's not true. We have plenty of meetings with regulators. Believe me, nothing compared to an historic incumbent. Yeah. So that's the second thing. The third thing is definitely all these edge cases that today you don't do. And when you want to be more universal, you will add layers to your organization, to your services that will grow complexity. Of course, there are huge margin before becoming as complex as incumbents. Yeah. And I'm sure the new guys won't do the same stuff. Definitely, yeah. because they are digital from day one. So, of course, plenty of things will be avoided. But new kind of complexity will be there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they're going to also have to consider how to service customers who do want to interact with banking products in maybe a less digital way. Or, you know, now you've seen a lot of the big neobanks here uh, foray into lending services and sure, credit because services. you make money on lending. Yeah, so they've but kind of done the customer acquisition side, still focusing on that, but now trying to turn it to honest, more commercial. To be honest, you cannot make a lot of money on just classical retail banking. If you speak just of a current account and a card, mm. 
you can make money only when you have a very niche market who spend a lot with your cards and only in the market where you have a big interchange. Sorry to be technical. Mm. All those are one with the interchange you have in Europe for the normal domestic interchange. You need other services. Mm. So of course they have plenty of strategy. All these new banks they have very nice strategy of added value services with other fintechs or with lending. But more and more, if they want to make money in the future, they will have more complexity. And the problem is with complexity comes customer care. And even if customer care is much cheaper um, today in digital era than before where every issue was a call, which is very expensive, it still has a cost. So one day all these new, new actors will have to face that in a massive volume, which is still not the case today. However, I'm not saying they can't succeed. I'm just, uh, I'm even thinking that some of them already are on the path of succeeding. Yeah. But to answer your question, they are still not on the path to be a big competitor to BNP Paribas or Crédit Agricole, which has 25 million customer for the later. Mm. So that's where we are far of yeah, the total so disruption. Yeah, so just need time to see how that's going to play out. Exactly. But still, I want to conclude on that, they are definitely moving the line. Mm. Well, I mean, we saw even um, through some of our research uh, in the UK specifically, Monzo, um, I believe they had the, the leading market share in the UK market uh, as a digital only bank, as a main bank. Um, I think last year it was about 0.7% market share for main bank. Um, I'll double check and uh, pop that onto the website, but now it's uh, 1.6. So a significant increase over a space of 12 months. However, you know, where we're comparing it to banks with a market share of 30, 30%, 20%, 40%, um, you know, there's still a long way to go there. No, I mean, definitely um, UK is a very special market in Europe, very special. I mean, you cannot really compare uh, UK market with the rest of mainland Europe. Being for credit, I advise you to go on the internet and look at the appetite for credit in all the other countries but UK. Mm -hmm. UK is much more like US on that part. And also for uh, new services. Just take an example, um, all these new banks are the children of the new payment services launched in the UK by 2006, 7, 8 and 9 which were hundreds of them before PSD1 uh, and before DME2, which was only in force in Europe in 2010. So when these laws arrived at the time, in UK, in the night, you had 100 new players or 200 new players. In Europe, in France, we had only 10 after a few years, mm -hmm. because in fact, UK didn't wait for the law. And so you are much more in advance for all these new businesses. So that means that your con the consumers of UK are used to these services. For them, it's not like new. You take a subway, you have advertisement only for fintech. I mean, uh, I came mm. today, you see advertisement for Tide, you see advertisement for Starling Bank, and you see advertisement for Funding Circle, all that in the same subway. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's not only because it's cyber this way, it's every time. Oh, it's all the time, so, yeah. So UK people are really used to that. Well, moving on, talking about innovation uh, in banking, there's lots going on. You've had a background in working in telecommunications and that sort of thing. So what other industries are you seeing banks looking to for case studies of innovation and keeping up? Oh, definitely. When I built Altair Consulting much before Altair event in 2000, um, we had two main line of services, telco and banks. And I have a... It's an old story. We, it, it wouldn't be the same today, but my consultant usually, when they arrive, they say, we walk to work in telco because it is where the things happen because banks, nothing moves. Look, at the time, there was less in France than 3% uh, uh, change in customer account a year. Wow. No moving, you know, no, no, no churn, mm -hmm. okay? And the offers, the big innovation in a bank in 2000 was to change the color of a credit card. 
Right. And yeah. it was a two years project with 10 consultants. So good for consultants. We made a lot of money with doing that uh, very interesting thing. And, um, but for Telco, they were launching new product every day, uh, uh, new, uh, uh, new offers, new channels, a growth which was incredible. So in three months in Telco in 2000, you were doing more things than in two years in a bank. And you have seen a lot of the, let's say, good ideas coming from Telcos, mm -hmm. going to banks later on. So of course, when the banks appear to have this kind of new competition with PSD1, GME2, and PSD2 in the beginning of 2010 until now, it's exactly what we lived in Telco. So you have a lot of, of these ideas of this principle going on now in the bank. And you speak with so many senior leaders at your Paris FinTech Forum, you know, the heads of banks, FinTechs, government organisations, ministers. I mean, what have you seen, their viewpoints on PSD2, open banking? What, what's the information that they're kind of sharing with you about that? I mean, open banking is at the centre of everything for years. You know, I wrote for France in 2013 um, the green answer to the European Commission when they were just preliminary thinking about PSD2. Mm -hmm. I work with all the institutions also. It's a long story. We did perhaps hundreds of conferences in that time on panels on, on open banking PSD2. Mm -hmm. The difference is today is there. The law is there. It's still hard to go in force. I think what moved a lot is that all the financial institutions do understand now that it's here. It's not anymore a discussion. Mm -hmm. And it will be an opportunity for them. They know it. Some of them are in advance and already use it properly with uh, uh, offers for the end user consumers, with partnership with some fintech and so on. Some others are on the way to do it. But one big question which is now rising from banks is, okay, you want all my data. By the way, first, as GDPR says, customers should be in control. Correct, yeah. Not the fintech, not the government, not the bank, not a law saying that I have to share my data with a fintech, but the customer. Mm. Everybody, more and more people say we should give back the consent and the ownership of the data to the consumers. Many big actors, I'm not speaking of big banks, say, okay, why should I share all the payment data, the wealth management data with anyone in the world? And why is a big merchant don't share the data with me? Yeah. Because, for example, everybody is dreaming about the payment data. You know what? It's crap. What do you know when you have my payment data? If you are a new bank or a bank, you only know that yesterday I spent 100 euro at Tesco. Mm -hmm. 100 pounds, sorry. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know I was in London and you know I spent 100 pounds. And you know which part of London I spent this 100 pounds. That's already quite interesting data, I agree. But the real story is why did I bought? If I bought only fresh food, or if I bought a lot of uh, junk food, or if I bought uh, uh, something for my new kids, here you can make me commercial offers. Here you can leverage data to make money, mm. but you don't have this info. Yeah, not the behavioral kind of You don't know. You just know I spend 100 euro. Mm. You don't know to do what? The merchant knows. The merchants are the real, the retailers are the guy with the power. Amazon knows where I spend my money and to do what. So that's a real power. Everybody is focusing on the data owned by the banks, but really the real good data is what did I spend, what did I bought. With that, I can perhaps leverage your current account where I make no money with you 
uh, and try to sell you new added value services. I see that you have a, a, a new kid in the family, but I also know that your apartment is not so big, so perhaps I can try to push your uh, uh, land property offers uh, to help you move, whatever, you know, just... Just more targeted, yeah. Yeah, and this, so to come back, some big bankers are telling no. Okay, let's have a real discussion on data. Not banking data, all data. All data. Let's yeah. give the customer the ownership, and let's give the right to any actors to ask for the data of any actors. So the next Paris FinTech Forum, that's almost around the corner. I mean, January is going to fly by. After such a huge success from the previous event, what can we see at the upcoming event? Yeah, I mean, every year we have the same question because it's like every year we people tell us with what you did last year, what can you do next year? Mm-hmm. Uh, many years in a row, we have, for example, we did two nights in a row a panel with four ministers of finance of four countries because people never believe us, but we don't have keynotes. Being the ministers of finance between the CEO of the IMF Mm-hmm. or between chairman of banks or of course you have the fintechs they are in panels mm-hmm. they discuss together they confront their opinions uh, we tried to change last year it was very political mm-hmm. we had IMF CEO we had ministers and so on for two years in a row um, this year will be much more business oriented mm-hmm. and also a big focus uh, between the, the difference of opportunities and risk in financial services development between North America and Europe so we have a lot of fintech CEOs and bank CEOs, top-level group, coming from these both geographies. Mm-hmm. Of course, to discuss our classical stuff about all new banks, platforms, insurtech, blockchain, all, all, all of the scope yeah. of, of the fintech industry. As you know, it's three years in a row we are sold out. So we do know, uh, and we, we, we see the traction today, we are already very in advance in the ticket sales. We are almost mm-hmm. out of early bird for September. That's incredible. We have a lot of regulators coming this year. We have, for example, European Banking Authority chairman would be there, uh, or the governor of French Bank, or uh, as a chair of ESMA. So we have also a lot of regulators coming, at, uh, and really the mix to make the best business possible, to learn a lot from insightful discussion on the panels. So um, if you want a few uh, scoop of some people who will join us, of course it's not exhaustive, but let's say Valentin Starf, CEO of Number 26, who was on my stage, the first Paris FinTech Forum in 2016, mm-hmm. with a plan that he delivers, will be back in an exclusive interview to see, okay, what happens since then. Yeah. Uh, we have on stage uh, the chairman of BBVA Group, the CEO of ING Group, the CEO of Société Générale, and the CEO of Western Union Group. Of course, we have some big names of the fintech industry. So the founder of uh, Landing Club, mm-hmm. Renaud Laplanche, the co-founder of Cabbage, Catherine Petralia, the chairman and founder of Zopa, the founder and CEO of Alan in France, Chiotech. Brilliant. And where can people find out more information? What's the uh, event website? ParisFintechForum.com. Perfect, uh, you easy. Can, <laughs> you can apply to be a speaker. The call for speaker ends uh, by end of October. And uh, last but not least, you can buy your ticket and not wait the last minute. It will be perhaps, uh, yeah, of course, Yeah, before it sells out again. Laurent, thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely to meet you and I look forward to Paris FinTech Forum in January. Thank you very much, Adele. I hope you will be there and it was a great pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Global Digital Banker podcast. To listen to previous episodes, head to globaldigitalbanker.com, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed the episode, it would be great if you could leave us a quick review or if you're interested in being a part of the show, drop us a note at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.